Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we continue on in our series, God, Our Light and Life, going through the book of 1 John. The name of the sermon is called Prayer Matters, and Pastor David will be preaching from 1 John 5, 14 through 17. Let's join Pastor David now. Let's, let's turn to God's Word now. Uh, meet me in 1 John uh, chapter 5. Uh, we're looking at verses 14 to 17. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 to 17. This will be the second to last uh, message through our series through 1 John. And I hope and trust it's been a blessing to myself and the preaching team as we've prepared uh, for these messages. And I hope and trust it certainly has been a blessing to you guys in this season. So today, 1 John chapter 5, 14 to 17. If you're using the Bible in the chair, uh, you'll find it on page 1213, 1213. Let me read it before we continue. 1 John 5, starting at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his name, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Let me pray. Father, as we turn to your word now, as has already been mentioned, already in our service, Lord, we have devoted ourselves to, to worship and to prayer. And Father, we ask that your spirit would be active and moving, move amongst us, Lord, that, your, that by your word, your spirit would perform sanctifying surgery on us, illumine that which is confusing, comfort the troubled, call the broken, save the lost. And Lord, we ask that all these things would happen in and through your spirit, by your word. So Lord, guide our, our thoughts, guide my words. May the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, one of the practical mysteries of the faith is what we had just done, prayer. Uh, one of the beautiful, simple, yet mysterious and wonderful elements of what it means to be a Christian is to engage in prayer. This uh, conversation with God, this dialogue, this and imagine a conversation with the living triune God of the universe, that you can speak to him, you can pray to him, you can commune with him, you can boldly approach the throne of grace in prayer. And we think about that, and we start to multiply that by how many, how many believers are maybe even here in this room at this moment, how many believers are in Lake County, how many believers are in Illinois, or the states, or the world, that we can pray to God, and He hears us. Talk about a full inbox every single day of God's existence, yet He hears, He knows. And the reason I think it's beautiful to think about prayer is a practical mystery, is because in some beautiful way, God folds our prayers 
into his work in our lives and throughout the world. To take this idea that God is altogether powerful and in control and sovereign, nothing happens ever without his sovereign oversight over all things. And at the same time, when we pray, he folds that up into the process. That when we pray, stuff happens. When we pray, God moves isn't that beautiful? It seems a simple thought at first, but then the more you think about it, the more you realize, wait a second, what I pray is wrapped up into God's work in this world, and we start to see this beautiful mystery that we have in prayer. And sometimes when we pray, you and I can ask questions or even wrestle through or struggle through, Lord, do you hear me? Lord, does prayer really matter? Does, does prayer work? In this passage, will go to show us that grace, our standing in Christ, the standing that the believer has in him, it frees us so that we can pray confidently. We can pray confidently to God with assurance and certainty with, with a steadfast, resolute knowledge and understanding that when you talk to God in prayer, when you pray, <laughs> he hears you. And that's why you can pray confidently. Look at these uh, verses 14 and 15. And I'm actually going to start reading at verse 13. This verse was touched on last week that Pastor Brandon preached on. 1 John 5, 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's this grace in which we stand. That's the gospel in which has gripped us by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And we see intertwined into these verses, specifically 13, 14, and 15, we see this idea that if we are in Christ, that's, that's a primary metaphor of salvation, being in him, united to him, that his spirit is in us, that if we are in Christ, we know from that confidence, from that assurance, that when we pray, he hears us that he hears the prayer of his people. There's other passages in the Bible that talk about the spirit, inter uh, the spirit groaning for us with prayers too deep for words. We see other passages in the Bible that talk about Christ interceding for us. Did you know that? That the Spirit's praying for you? That Christ is praying for you? And if you are in Christ and with Christ, when it talks about us praying, uh, verse uh, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, this is not just praying to God, but this is also a proximity with God. If you are in him and you're talking to him, you know that he hears you. You can pray with confidence. And at the same time, I, like you, probably as you read these two verses, have asked questions like, but wait a second, what about the times where I have prayed and I have made a request of God, and it didn't happen. 
times that I've come before God and, and, and given a very specific prayer with a specific quest, and it didn't go through, or, or it didn't happen. And as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking back uh, times in my life where I came to God and I prayed for something very specific. Maybe, Lord, please open this or that door. But instead of opening the door, it was shut. And not just shut, bolted shut. Not just bolted, barred shut with guards. <laughs> really, really, really shut. And I thought, wait a second, but Lord, I, I prayed for this. Or maybe you prayed for for a, a relationship to strengthen, but it didn't get stronger, it only got weaker. Or maybe you prayed, um, you know, all the prayers of our everyday life. Lord, do you want me to take this job or that job? Should I marry this person or not marry that person? All the daily prayers, all these daily requests that we bring to him, and sometimes we make requests that don't go through. In times in my life that I've prayed that, I've had a thought creep into my heart to ask, God, do you really hear me? Am I really heard? Am I just speaking to, to an empty room? Am I just speaking to a God who's not here or busy somewhere else or is not interested or absent or hears but just doesn't want to answer? Have you asked that question before? And I remember in seasons of my life where, where I have asked that question, God, do you really hear me? Because I've been praying for something pretty specific for a pretty long time, and it's not happening. And there have been times where, by God's gracious yet clear, loving yet firm work in, in my life, where God has used those moments to remind me who he is, what prayer is, and who I am in light of him. That in those moments where I thought it wasn't going through, maybe it wasn't working, God has used those to remind me that prayer is not a slot machine. <laughs> prayer is not a slot machine. We do not come to God, this empty mechanic algorithmic machine where we plug in our, our resources, right, our time, our energy, and we pull the lever and that's our prayer. Prayer is not a slot machine where we're coming to God that, that, you know, maybe might just maybe do our will, but more often than not just kind of dangles a carrot. We kind of know before we come he's probably not going to answer. Sure, there's a one in a million chance where we might hit the jackpot and he'll go above and beyond all that we can ask or think, but we get this idea or we can get this idea. I've had this idea subtly that, I, that as I'm coming to God, you know, it's kind of, it's a coin toss I'm probably going to lose but it's going to take all my resources, all my time, all my energy anyway, and it's probably going to be disappointing, and it's just, it's just not going to go through. Do you know that that's a way to think about God, that he is impersonal, this algorithmic you know, program that is designed to, <laughs> for me, often to lose. Sometimes we win to kind of keep us coming back. That's a way we can think of God. That's a way we can think of prayer. That's a way we can think of ourselves coming to God. God has reminded us and reminds us even now, prayer is not a slot machine, nor is prayer a vending machine. It's another way to look at prayer. That when I come to God, I, I plug in my prayer, and I push my request, and when I hit E5, that Snickers bar better drop down. <laughs> and if it doesn't work, what do we do, right? We shake it. We bang it, 
We test and see, yep, it still has the child lock that we still can't get up under there. Prayer is not a vending machine. This idea of, God, I put my money and I pushed E5, you bow to me. Not your will be done, my will be done. That's not prayer either. Prayer is not coming to, to a machine. Prayer is not coming uh, to a God that probably won't do our will and is probably going to dangle a carrot all along the way to frustrate us, nor is prayer coming to a God that must do my every beck and call. He's not our divine butler. He's not our cosmic concierge that when we ring the bell, he must answer in our way, in our timing, when we want it. We're coming to, not a machine, we're coming to a loving, gracious, cosmic, powerful, heavenly Father, a Father in whom we have relationship with through Jesus Christ. And parents and grandparents, you know this intuitively. If you gave to your child or grandchild what they wanted, when they want it, how they want it, to the frequency they want it, to the amount they want it, how long would they survive? <laughs> Not long, right? That when we come to a heavenly father, this is a relationship, there's complexity to him, there's, there's understanding that we dialogue with him. And when we come to a heavenly father, not a machine, we come to a heavenly father who not only knows, but who knows best. Who knows what's best for us, what's best for you and I. And if we get glimpses of that, just glimpses of that in our earthly relationships, certainly grandparents, parents to your children or grandchildren, how much more infinitely so would that be true of our heavenly father who is perfect and all-knowing? He knows. And he knows best. So if prayer is not a slot machine or a vending machine, we see very clearly that prayer is not first and foremost, about what we can get from God, it's first and foremost getting God. That's, that's the order matters. That if prayer was only what we could get from God, that's not really a relationship, is it? It's a business transaction. It's a relationship with a machine. I want my Snickers bar, E5. How come you didn't deliver? Yet God calls us into a loving relationship. We, his children, he, our heavenly father. And so it's not primarily, don't misunderstand me, a huge part of prayer is making requests, asking God for stuff. We can do that. But it's not first and foremost that. It's not only what we can get from God. It's getting God and God himself. And if that is true, then we can start reversing the order Instead of praying, please, then, thank you, have you ever tried reversing it? Try starting with thank you, and then get to your please. And you're going to start to find, when you start praying in that way, not please, then, thank you, but thank you, then, please, you're going to start to find that by the time you get to your requests, they might shrink. By the time you get to your requests, maybe what was very anxious at first is less anxious in your heart. That if we start when we pray with, with adoration, with worship, re reminding ourselves of his goodness, his grace, his power, his might, his character, 
in saying, God, this is what your word says of you. How amazing is that? And when we start with adoration and when we start with seeing who we are in light of God, that apart from Christ we are lost, we're broken, we're, we're dead in our own brokenness and sin. And when we, we pray in confession and then in confidence of forgiveness, and when we pray those prayers of gratitude for what he's done in our life and your life and in your life and in your life, for the works that God has done in the world, for the works that he's done in the history of, of your family, recount all the ways that God has moved in your life and pray those from a heart of gratitude. Lord, thank you for providing a measure of health. Lord, thank you for providing the daily bread that I need. Thank you for providing this. Thank you for providing that. And when we start with adoration, when we start with thanksgiving, by the time we get to our requests, our pleases, our heart's going to be ready for it in such a way that we will no longer lose the giver to the gift. We're, start, we're going to be able to see more clearly, Lord, this is in first and foremost a relationship with you, and you will find that you're, you're going to leave prayer less anxious. I've had this experience. I'm, I'm sure I'm not speaking um, alone in this. If I, whenever I pray, if I only and always just bring requests, just bring the list. Now, again, we can do that. We can ask requests of God. But if I only and always do that, have you noticed? You get even more anxious. We have a list of the things that are most important to us in our lives. And we say, God, please, 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 please deliver on this. Do you know what we're doing? We're pulling the slot machine. We're hitting the buttons. And after we're done praying, we might even be more anxious. But when we start with who God is and all that he's done in our life and adoration and thanksgiving, by the time we get to our requests, our hearts are prepared. They're ready. They're, they're in a place that we are built up. We're in a place that when we hand over to God what is most precious to us, we know that we are handing it over to the hands of a loving, powerful, heavenly Father. Not a machine that may or may not do our will, or not a machine that must do our will, but a heavenly Father who knows and knows what's best for you and I. And that's why it's, it's also so important to pray from a heart disposition, or literally pray the words, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Do you see what was wrong with both of these metaphors, slot machine and vending machine? We're coming to God saying, may my will be done. Pull the lever. I want my will to be done. We pull it again. Or we hit the buttons. My will be done. I need that Snickers bar. But when we pray, not my will, not my will, but your will be done, it prepares our hearts to receive the answer. Because, friends, if Jesus prayed that prayer, if Jesus, the second person of the triune Godhead, if God the Son prayed to God the Father, not my will, but your will be done, then certainly we can pray that too. And when we pray that, Lord, not my will, Lord, I have a limited understanding of, of my needs and what's happening even in my life in the world. I don't see the full picture. You do. So I'm praying, Lord, I think this is a good request, but not my will, but your will be done. And when that's the disposition of our heart, 
God <laughs> prepares our heart for whatever answer that might be. And sometimes when we bring our requests to God, his answer is yes. Sometimes it's yes. And sometimes he goes way above and beyond all that we could ask or think. Lord, I have a need and I'm asking for you to provide, whether that's through resources or networks or help, some form of help. Sometimes he said, not only am I going to answer yes, I'm going to... I'm going to blow your mind in the ways in which I'm going to go way above and beyond. You thought this was your need, this was your need, and I'm going to provide this. Sometimes he answers yes. Praise God for that. Sometimes he answers no. Even then, may we praise God for that. Remember, he knows best. He sees the big picture. Sometimes we make a request to God and he says no. Sometimes we get a measure of clarity as we continue through our Christian journey, your journey of discipleship. Sometimes when God says no, you might look back on that, maybe a year from that answer, two years from that answer, a decade from that answer. And sometimes God provides for us a measure of clarity and understanding where we can say, okay, Lord, I see why you said no. Sometimes he even moves our hearts to a place of saying, Lord, thank you that you said no. You saved me from a bullet that I didn't even know was coming. But there are times when we don't fully get understanding of why God says no to certain prayers. That's not guaranteed. We might not know in this earth, in your lifetime, why God says no to some of the things that we ask of him. And even if we don't have a measure of understanding, we pray for that. It's wonderful when that happens. But even if we don't have a measure of understanding of why he says no, may we pray that God would move our hearts to a place of acceptance and trust, saying, Lord, I made a request. You said no, so I trust you. I trust that that was the best thing. I trust that that was... <laughs> In your hands, I trust that you are still sovereign and still good. I've heard someone else say, I'm going to borrow the phrase and probably paraphrase it, if, if you and I knew all that God knows, we would give ourselves exactly what he has given us to. We don't have the full picture. He does. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes God answers our request by saying, not yet. Don't you hate that answer? <laughs> not yet kind of that internal struggle of the heart that, that you sense. I think this is going to go through. I don't know why it's not going through. And then sometimes later it does go through. Okay, Lord, this was a not yet answer. And once again, and this is why it's a journey of faith, isn't it? Sometimes that not yet is measured in days, sometimes measured in months or years or decades. Sometimes it's measured in generations. Are you praying prayers big enough that you will not live to see answered? Are you planting trees of faith in prayer that will bear fruit two or three or four generations after you are gone? Because there, are, there might be prayers that God is going to answer that we might not see in our lifetime. Sometimes God says, not yet, not yet. And you see very quickly how 
how important it is that we would pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We are entrusting ourselves into his hands because only then will we, will we be able to rest in his sovereign care. You're not going to be able to rest in the sovereign care of a machine. You're not going to be able to bring your, what's closest to your heart, what is most burdensome on your heart. You're not going to hand that over to an impersonal, cosmic, slot machine or vending machine. You need a personal, loving, heavenly Father that when you pray that, not my will but yours be done, he moves in our heart in such a way that whatever he answers, we say, Lord, I receive it and I trust you even more. Lean into him and pray with confidence. Pray with confidence knowing that when we pray according to his written will, God's word, that's God's revealed will to us. He has spoken through the prophets in the Old Testament. He spoke through his son, the incarnate son, Jesus Christ. He has spoken to us through his word. This is God's will. And when you pray God's will, you know he hears you. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about, but what about the mysterious will? This job, that job, to marry, to not to marry. Should I leave my job? Should I stick, stay in this job and, and weather the storm? That's what we're all curious about. And even in those prayers, because quite frankly, we don't know. We don't know God's mysterious will. And if we did, it would no longer be a relationship, would it? It would just be a transaction. I want the coins to fall out. I want my Snickers bar to come through. But friends, we have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Pray with confidence that no matter how he answers, yes, no, or not yet, he hears you. He hears you. He hears your heart and he sees your tears. It says in the Psalms that he collects your tears in a bottle. Think of the care. Think of the concern. He knows and he hears you. So pray with confidence. But this passage not only says pray with confidence to God, it also talks about how we pray for others. And we see that it will show us to pray earnestly for others. Look at the next two verses, 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he should ask prayer, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now, I asked, I asked the same question that you are asking right now when you read this verse. There is a sin that leads to death. What is it, <laughs> and have I done it? What does this mean? I mean, there are some passages in the Bible that are, can be challenging and hard and confusing. What do, these, what do these verses mean? Sin that do and don't lead to death? Do and don't pray for one or the other? What is this all sorting out to mean? What I can say firstly and confidently is that what these two verses are the purpose of them is not to cause anxiety and gripping and paralyzed fear for the believer, to rattle our confidence in our standing in Christ, in the gospel, and in grace. How can I say that so confidently? Because verse 13 says that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, I write these things to you, talking about the whole letter, the whole letter of 1 John is written to you who believe, Christians, in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
Side note, this is pretty, I think it's pretty cool. The gospel of John, the purpose, is written that you may believe, and that by believing you might have life in his name. The purpose of 1 John is that those who believe might know that you have eternal life. So a massive purpose of the entire letter of 1 John is to say, dear Christian, dear Christian, if you're in him, you're saved. <laughs> you're secure. You can have assurance in the gospel that nothing can pluck you from his hand, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these verses are not designed to rattle our confidence in the gospel, in our standing in Christ, if you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior. So then what is this talking about? Specifically, the sin that does or doesn't lead to death. It's most likely not talking about sin that is known or unknown, sin that we commit that we know, or sin that we commit that we didn't know it was a sin. It's probably not talking about that. It's also probably not talking about um, the size of the sin. Sometimes people have understood this to say, well, there's sins that are really bad, and then there's sins that are not so bad. Maybe it's talking about that, that the really bad ones lead to death, and the not-so-really-bad ones aren't, don't really lead to death. It's probably not talking about that either. It's also probably not talking about duration of sin. Some of that, well, maybe it's talking about sin that is just so stubborn and persistent that we keep wrestling with, or maybe it's talking about sin that only happens once or twice. It's probably not talking about that either. What it is most likely talking about, and the reason I say that is because there have been many thoughtful Christians for centuries. This is a hard, these are hard verses. But as best as I can understand, these verses are talking about not known or unknown sin, not big or little sin, not duration of sin, but sin that when we swim upstream, we find a condition of the heart. All sin, Christian and non-Christian, all of us, all people, we all fall short. But what matters is the condition of the heart. That sin not leading to death is a sin that when we swim upstream from it, we find a heart that has already entrusted itself to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone. This is a heart that comes under God and is willingly submissive, that, that receives God's role as God, that throws ourselves on his grace and has been transformed by the power of the gospel. It reveals a heart that has been regenerated. It's been made new. A heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh. And this heart, when we sin, because if we deny our sin, we're delusional. First John says that. We can't deny our sin. When we sin, it reveals a heart that, that comes to God in confession and repentance and softness and turns to him and asks for forgiveness. Not that you're saved again, but that you further walk into the grace that you have already received. That's why it says, if anyone sees his brother, a family, family member in the faith, committing a sin not leading to death, ask God, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. That when we pray for one another, fellow believers, did you know that when you pray for your brother and sister in Christ who is in sin, that your prayer helps bring them down the path of sanctification, the path of discipleship? Your prayer matters in the lives of your fellow brothers and sisters. Pray for one another. That's what I think this is talking about. So what is the other one talking about? Sin that leads to death. This, I think, is sin that reveals the condition of the human heart, that it reveals a heart that has not trusted Christ. 
reveals a heart that has rejected him, that the message of the gospel is a message of sheer and utter grace, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's a message that's offered to all, and it's a message that we have to respond to. And there is a possibility for us as human beings to always and forever and persistently to say no. God says, won't you receive my grace? Won't you receive my son? We can say no forever. Repeatedly harden our heart in rejection and willful rebellion of him, and we turn our backs, and if we walk away forever in rejection of him, there is a sobering reality that's not fun to share, but it's true to share, that the ending is not good, that if we forever reject him, there's a sobering reality that God will honor our desire in saying no. And this sin that leads to death is revealing the human heart that is still stone, that is still dead in our trespasses and sins, that is still in open rebellion against God because biblical Christianity does not paint a picture of the human heart that's kind of neutral. Yeah, sure, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, and then along the way we got to make a decision somewhere along. The condition of the human heart, according to biblical Christianity, is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We have a heart of stone. We have rebelled against God. The only way God saves is out of condemnation. He doesn't shove us into condemnation. We're already there by our own willing rebellion against God. Do you see? This is important. And what John is talking about is a condition of the heart. It's a condition of the heart. That's why he says, you might wonder, well, then what does it mean then? Why would I pray for or not pray for? What does that mean? In verse 16, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. What does that mean? Again, John is talking about the human heart. So what he's saying is when a brother and sister in the faith are in sin and we pray for them, through that process, God brings about life. Restoration, renewal, sanctification, that's a beautiful and good thing. Pray earnestly for your brothers and sisters in the faith. We need it. I need it. You need it. Well, then why would God say don't pray for sin that leads to death? What, he's, what God's Word is talking about is that if we are to pray that someone would come into conformity with a grace they have not yet first received, it's futile. If we pray for a Christian to come into conformity with a grace that they've already received, that welcome to the Christian life. Life comes out of that. But if we pray that someone would come into conformity with a grace that they have not yet received, God's Word is saying it's, it's futile. So this passage is not being cold. When you first read it, it feels like, whew, it's a little, comes across as a little cold. It's not being cold to the unbeliever. It's being honest about the condition of the heart. Because all of us, all of us, all of us, all of us, before Christ, our hearts did not need a tune-up. They needed a transplant. The condition of the human heart, it doesn't need some more exercise to get into God's grace. It needs a defibrillator. That our heart of stone needs to be replaced with a heart of flesh. 
So we are to pray earnestly, Christians, for one another, and pray earnestly for those who do not yet know Christ. Not that they would work their way into the family of faith, but that they would be transferred into the family of faith. That God, by his grace, would intervene as he has intervened in my life and all those who are believers as he's intervened in your life. Do you realize, do you know, that your salvation is a sheer act of miraculous and beautiful grace? We didn't come to God because we were top of the class. We didn't come to God because we had the best resume. We came to God broken, dead in our sin, blind and he saved us. Pray earnestly for that, for others. And I get it, you guys. I got names and faces that come to my mind, too, that I pray for earnestly. May your heart break for those who do not yet know him, who do not yet know his grace. May your heart break for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that when we walk in sin, that we would pray for one another that restoration would come through that process. Do you see how important and, in, uh, and invaluable prayer is? And I think what this passage is showing us and telling us is this, very simple. Prayer matters. Prayer matters. So pray confidently to God. He hears you. He hears you, dear brother and sister in Christ. You're not alone. You have not been abandoned by your heavenly Father. He's with you every step of the way. He hears you. And whether he says yes, no, or not yet, won't he move in your heart to bring you to a place of trust that you are in good hands if you are in God's hands? He hears you. So pray with confidence to him and pray earnestly for others. Not from a place of anxiety, but from a place of earnestness and importance, seeing the value of what we are doing when we pray. And that means that prayer is not something that we do when we're just at the end of our rope. It's a good thing to do that when we're at the end of our rope too. But don't just save it till you're at the end of your rope. It is your rope. It's the third strand, braiding together and interweaving together God's mysterious will and our human obedience. It's all wrapped up together in prayer. Pray. It's your rope. And notice, just praying is never just praying. The least I can do is pray for you is never the least that you can do. Prayer matters. So may we pray to our God, our Father, who knows and loves us, and may we pray for one another, inside and outside the family of faith, that he would grow us and he would add many more to his church. Let's pray. Father, we, we, I just even close this message, Lord, in the same spirit and heart of what your word has called us to do, to come in prayer. So, Father, I pray for all who are listening to this message. To those who do not yet know you, Lord, intervene in their hearts. Won't you draw them to yourself? Won't you show them the beauty of your grace and mercy? And won't they receive it? I ask, Lord, soften us to respond to your will to those in the family of faith. Lord, I just pray for those. If there's bondage to sin, Lord, we ask that you'd free us from that. 
Show us that you do, in fact, provide life when we say yes to you and no to unrighteousness. May we taste and see that your life-giving grace is ours in you. And Father, we pray. We pray with the, <laughs> the surety that our Heavenly Father knows and hears and loves us. So Lord, hear our prayers and may your will be done. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.